It's not just the one place. <laughs> I have pain here. In my famous ass. It's not that bad, is it? Well, you can hear them and you can you can see them a little bit. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, you, you learn to play the ball, but I'm not going to say it was a, a total distraction, but it is a little annoying, maybe. No, I shouldn't have to change for any other circumstances. I like my hair. It's just things flying in the air that you're not supposed to be seeing. It's not that bad, is it? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Surf. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And uh, sorry, it's been a long time. It has been over two weeks, but I think we were weighing the merits of doing a mid-Indian Wells podcast. Well, last year and the year before, we were able to get more episodes in during this time because there was so much stuff going on. Mm-hmm. There was the Sharapova stuff, the Roger Moore, the Roger Moore, the Raymond Moore stuff. Mm-hmm. There just seemed to be always some filler stuff outside the tennis that we could talk about this time not so much it felt like which during... I, th- I guess is probably a good thing because there was less horrible bullshit to cover right still a little bit but not nearly on the same level mm-hmm. as previous years and the the title of this episode is called federer has zero chill because what is roger federer doing <laughs> in 2017 we'll get to that in due course we have an announcement Yeah, what have you been up to? (laughs) The podcast is going to be in Charleston this year in a couple in less than two weeks in in nine days. Yeah, well, half the podcast is going to be in Charleston. (laughs) Well, you just started your nine to five, so that was a non-starter for you. Yeah, I would I would love to go. I really want to see the city of Charleston. I've never been to um, either of the Carolinas, and uh, I've been in the Charleston airport before. Okay, that's been the extent of it. It doesn't really count. Yeah, for those reasons, I'm excited. I'm excited to see clay tennis for the first time. Maybe touch a clay court. I think more <laughs> so than seeing it, I'm excited to touch mm, it. Are, is that <laughs> on your press pass? Are you allowed to touch the court? I'm going to touch that damn green clay if it's the last okay. thing I do before Maybe I leave that tournament. Maybe slide around on a little bit. <laughs> and we're going to be, well, I'm going to be seeing a lot of tennis Twitter. Regular listener CC Smooth 13 he's going to be there. Uh, mm-hmm. Steph in the US, she's going to be there with her mom. Yeah, there's going to be some reunions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be reconnecting with a, a college buddy of mine. We're actually going to be rooming mm-hmm. for the six days that I'm there. Like old times. I, I will see. It's <laughs> been a decade. <laughs> so look out for that. Look out for hopefully multiple episodes that week. That will be dependent a lot on you. So On me? Yeah. Because... Oh, I thought you were speaking to the audience. No, no, no. On you, James. Yep getting your ass in gear from Toronto. <laughs> we It's difficult for us to do these episodes remotely when we're not in the same room. Yeah. We're going to try to get our, our Skype game on. Mm-hmm. Maybe use some new technology that we've acquired that we don't know how to use yet. On to the tennis at hand. We're going to start with the women's final in Indian Wells, which featured... Svetlana Kuznetsova and Elena Viznina. So both players were surprising finalists. One more than the other, obviously. Vesnina has long been a very successful doubles player and has had big results in singles intermittently. But I would say this was a a fair shock that she reached the final and won the title. For her, much less so for Svetlana. Definitely. I mean, we're talking about a top 10 player. She's been playing well for well over a year now, not necessarily having those results at Grand Slams, but... I, I mm. didn't see that as a surprise. No. And especially since she was a finalist in Miami mm-hmm. last year. She plays well on hard courts in the US. And she's also Svetlana. Of course. Svetlana. Right. <laughs> she's a two-time Grand Slam champion. I don't think you can ever look at a two-time Slam champion and call them a surprise finalist. Unless they're coming well out of the blue. She may not have been the the big pick to come out of that half. I would say her result against Pliskova was the big surprise. Because I think earlier in the week you predicted that, wow, this is Carolina's tournament to lose. I, yes, I said that privately. That was not for public oh, consumption. Oh, I'm sorry. So you only want to share your predictions when they're right. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I didn't have any predictions, so... Well, you generally don't give a damn about Indian Wells, so... You know, I have uh, misgivings. We both have still have misgivings remaining about Indian Wells. But the women put together a really great show. There's no denying that. Which is not what you'd 
deduce from being on Twitter mm. and or reading some of the stuff that's been written about the WTA at Indian Wells because there was no Serena, there was no Pliskova in the final, there was no Kerber, none of the top names made the final four. And of course, Azarenka and Sharapova are out, Simona Halep didn't make it. There is this, frankly, bullshit expectation. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation where for the woman, you have to have Serena and Vika or Kerber in the final every week playing a three set great match or else you're left with people saying, oh, that that final was a letdown. Mm. Conversely, if uh, Federer, you know, wins 6-2, 6-4, it's like, it oh, wow, what? Oh, genius. The maestro is back, you know? <laughs> Serena beats somebody down and it's, oh my God, the depth, the depth. Mm-hmm on the WTA just isn't there. And where are her rivals? Right. What's even more troubling for me with this tournament in particular is that the characters that we had on show at the back end of this tournament are players who've been playing well. We had Mladenovic making this, the semifinals. She, she's had a good start to the year in singles. She won St. Petersburg. Svetlana's had intermittent results. She's also Svetlana. There was Pliskova. There was Venus. Half-dead Venus making the quarterfinals. <laughs> There was Caroline Wozniacki in the quarterfinals as well. She who made back-to-back finals in Doha and Dubai. So these are women who've had results this year. And so just because you don't necessarily think of them as top players, it doesn't mean that the product on court is going to suffer. And it didn't. We got a great final. We did. Between Viznina and Kuznetsova. All-Russian final. It was... Filled with storylines, lots of intrigue, and good tennis. And yet, all we could hear from a lot of folks on Twitter was, oh my god, can this match hurry up and be done with so that we can get Federer on court? And so amid the outcry that when women's tennis matches are short, that means the sport is of low quality and that there's no depth. Now we have a long, competitive, exciting women's final and people find a reason to complain about it. And honestly, I want you to just come out and admit you don't like women's sports. That's what like it bo- you hate women's tennis. That's it. That's what it boils down to. <laughs> right? Because you get all these deflections justifying degrading women's sport. Mm. And then you get this irrefutable thing in front of you. And you're so quick to just brush it aside. And these are the same folks who want to call upon the economic argument oh, Lord. to degrade women's tennis and say, well equal prize money it's ridiculous mm-hmm. right well here we are when a, a women's match is showing true entertainment value <laughs> and if you're going by you know hours logged on court there you go they win yeah because that's another thing but right? these, these they, arguments, don't, they don't spend as much time on court right. but these arguments fall apart when you really look hard at it especially when men are playing best of three as well and in fact what we have on display here for everybody to see is the same people who are making this economic argument. They're able to make that argument because they themselves are socialized in and create, continue to create the environment for that argument to thrive based on their own preferences, right? You say women's tennis isn't as good as men's tennis for all these various reasons, and then you point to the economic Mm. argument as the backup for that, right? When in fact, you are the one who's driving this argument. I'm not really going to argue on that basis because it doesn't make sense to me. You know, I'm not going to address you in those terms. That women's tennis is valuable because it makes money or creates valuable content. That's that's not what I'm arguing. If in fact it makes less money than men's tennis, it's because of economic choices by you. Right. Right. It's like there's a reflexivity between a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Yes. So why don't we just talk about the tennis for a moment? So Svetlana Kuznetsova was up 7-6-4-2 in that final. And it was just a a really wonderful display of what women's tennis is and can be. Vesnina hits a huge backhand, has very delicate touch at net because she's a great doubles player. Svetlana is, as we've said before, one of the bar none best athletes on either tour. 
and strikes the ball incredibly well. People always talk about the de facto and sole magician, aesthetician. <laughs> aesthetician, like get your nails done. <laughs> In tennis as being Roger Federer. I posit that Svetlana Kuznetsova is up there as well, because when she's in full flow, mm. she can do damn near anything on the tennis court. I wholeheartedly agree. I was really surprised by Vizina's serve more than anything else, mm. having watched that that quarterfinal against Venus, in which she did have a lot of double faults. So when she's able to curb that, you can see why she was able to have a semifinal result at Wimbledon, because right. her game is really tailor-made to be able to perform well on grass if she's performing well. Right. During the quarterfinal with Venus, once Venus won the second set, I almost expected Vesnina to go away a little bit, to suffer kind of a letdown, and it really did not happen. Well, she, she showed a lot of fortitude in that third set. She fell down a break right, right away. Right. And then she just came back. So I wonder, I'm kind of asking myself, seeing this result, why hasn't she broken out in a big way before? We know she reached the semifinals of Wimbledon last year, but she lost to Serena in the shortest semifinal in Wimbledon history in 45 minutes. And I mean, sure, that's Serena and Wimbledon. Not many people have a chance at all. But with her great results in doubles and seeing this display, I do kind of wonder why she hasn't broken out at other tournaments. We've seen it with many players in recent times where they come to it later in life, right? Injuries have played a part in her career as well. Yeah, definitely. And perhaps some of it is contagious. The The confidence is contagious that you see all these older women now playing well, and there's not this uh, like frantic mm-hmm. end of career... Yeah, that's a good word. Like ...anxiety mm-hmm. that players have once they get to 28, 29, thinking, oh, it's over. Yeah, like or 20, I, have, I have so little time yes. to do this that every match is so uh, anxiety-riddled, right? If you are able to keep your body right and fit, you can continue to improve your game and get better up to, like, any number of years now. <laughs> right. And once again, in in a different way, Serena and Venus are the vanguard, as they have been throughout their career. Now, it's they're the role models for playing well into your 30s. Svetlana as well. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned these players who've been playing well this year, getting far in Indian Wells. Svetlana beat some of the the hottest players on tour right now. Of course, there was that semifinal win over Pliskova, which I think was two tie breaks, right? 7-6-7-6. And she also beat Pavla Chenkova in the quarterfinals, who, you know, here and there has a great result. She also beat Vinci. That was something else too, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know what? I'm to- I'm done ragging on Vinci. To be clear, I was trying to pull something out I of know. you just now. And you know what? You're not going to take over my spirit. Okay. You'll never not be able to, to get past sitting in Applebee's in Cincinnati, mere weeks mm-hmm. away from Vinci fucking up your life. It was three weeks before one of the worst days of my life. The day Serena Williams lost her bid for the Grand Slam. And you were just marveling at her, sitting a stone's throw away from you yeah. so innocuously. I was like, oh, that's oh, that's Roberta Vinci. That's cute. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she seems funny. She's having a good time over there. Little did I know she was going to become one of my worst enemies. Viznina, you talk about Svetlana having a great run. Viznina really had an awesome run. Because <laughs> she took yeah. out Kerber in the run of 16. Then she beat Venus, who had, I don't know, maybe she got some gummy berry juice. I don't know. But she was (laughs) dead on arrival in that quarterfinal, much like she was in her first match. (laughs) I know. Here's the thing. Like, Venus was not playing well. No. But she, I would venture to say she was favored against Vesnina, even though she was in crappy form. (laughs) See, people who know Venus know Mm. that she has a losing record against Vesnina. Right. Like, we've, we've, we know she's won to... But it wasn't overwhelming. No, but like this, it wouldn't have been shocking if she lost to her. The the way it started though, like that was very disheartening. Oh yeah, and this was after Venus looked like she was going out, possibly double bagel, or double breadstick to Yankovic in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> like the highs and lows for Venus in this tournament were so enormous. Uh, well, I mean, you can and even within read the space, by Twitter, even within the space of one match. 
Like, the Venus fans were apoplectic, and somehow she pulled that out, she was mummified, wrapped up everywhere, and then slowly through the rounds, some of the wrapping just came off. <laughs> We've grown accustomed to seeing Venus with the right thigh strapping. Mm-hmm. She showed up in that first match against Yankovic with an elbow strapping. Right. Which was clearly inhibiting her serve. She barely hit 100 miles an hour on her serve in that first match. But as that match went on, she was able to hit harder serves by the third set. And we saw that throughout the rest of her matches. Like, she started slowly with the serve and was able to add some add some clicks, some, some pace to the mm-hmm. serve as the match went on. That really didn't happen against Vesnina. What sustained her throughout this tournament was her play off the ground. And what failed her against Vesnina is that she just was never able to get a real solid sustained rhythm right. off the ground against Vesnina. Because even with a substandard serve, if Venus's ground game is working, she can hang with damn near everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she just wasn't getting a lot of rhythm from Vesnina because of her variety, I think. You have a note here about assessing the impact of the sisters' return to Indian Wells. Yeah, so there's a few things. If if we can backtrack okay. to Vesnina, <laughs> I just wanted to make a caveat of sorts. This is not to take away from her win, but I can't really think about Vesnina without thinking about her comments about Serena and Venus once the uh, the water leaks came out about their therapeutic use exemptions. And Makarova and... The Tuesdays? The, yeah, the Tues. <laughs> and Makarova and Vesnina were both asked by a Russian outlet what they thought about it, about the drugs that were on Venus and Serena's exemption list. And man, like, honestly, when these Russian players are speaking to Russian journalists, they do not hold back. I feel like, I honestly feel like they think, well, I'm speaking Russian, so nobody's going to bother translating this shit. Because they are blunt as hell. I also think that Vesnina's comments, as blunt as they were, probably came without really fully understanding the situation. Oh, I agree. They were very uneducated. <laughs> no, I know that's that's not what you meant, but no. they were they were ignorant. And I mean that in a very literal sense. Because if it's presented that, oh, they're taking Oxy and all this stuff, and you can't take Oxy, you know, mm-hmm. like... That's how her comments read. Right, because she said, she said this is nonsense that they can take such serious drugs. And Makarova said, when the rest of us have a cold, we have to use homeopathic remedies and all these things. Mm. And it's just, it was stupid. I'll excuse it if it was just pure ignorance. But I, I would like to see Serena play her again, because I don't think she <laughs> takes those things sitting down. I mean, she already whooped the hell out of her at Wimbledon. Oh my god. And these comments happened after that. So was that just mere prestitute? I don't know. So anyway, going to Venus and Serena. Yeah, I did. I didn't really have a strong opinion about assessing their return to Indian Wells. We We talked about it a lot last year, because it was Serena's first return trip. And Venus's re-debut. I don't know. What what are you thinking? I think that for the sisters, it was kind of a psychological hurdle for them. It was obviously a, an emotional experience coming back. And for Serena, at least, it's definitely something that she felt she needed to kind of exercise. overcome. Exactly. Exercise is a much better word. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is territory we've covered before, mm-hmm. I feel. Okay. The, like, um, it feels very much so that we've gotten to a point now with the sisters where while 2001 will never be forgotten, there probably is some forgiveness at this point mm. and they've yeah. put it behind them. What it really, what it reads now is more of a hole on their resume in the sense mm. that Serena played there twice, had to retire once or withdraw or issue a walkover, whatever. Yeah. And then made the final the following year, losing to Azarenka. And then prior to this year, Venus lost her first match mm-hmm. last year and looked like she was going to lose her first match again. Right. And so what I'm left feeling with now is if you're the Williams sisters, it's like, okay, like we want to win something here now. You know, like right. the cuteness of coming back and seriousness, really. I don't want to like diminish and be glib about it, but... Like that, that business is for the most part done. Mm-hmm. 
And so the winning part, I imagine, for them is something that they'd like to get down to at some right. point. That's the thing. It, like, Venus didn't come here as a ceremonial player. She somehow dug out that first match. It's worth mentioning that, you know, this was her first win at Indian Wells in 16 years. Mm-hmm. And she won two matches. Clearly, she wanted to be there. And she wanted to compete. Like, Venus didn't show up half dead with a new injury, presumably. And the leg wrapped again, looking like, I don't know what, in terms of her right. game. To struggle through those matches, not thinking that she could still win somehow. No. <laughs> I mean, know, like, she, she was there to win. She knows she's 36, and she's here to play. And with Serena, we just have to accept that she's still contending for majors, and she will cut damn near every tournament out of the schedule if necessary. I do see Serena playing a little bit more if she's able to get to 25 Mm. by the end of this year. Yeah. If she makes her schedule for next year with 25 already behind her, I can see her taking more risks. Okay. With her schedule. Yeah. Is that what you wanted to cover with the impact of the sister's return? Mm -hmm. One more thing about Venus. She has this knack of losing to players who go on to either have the tournament of their life and or go on to win the tournament. (laughs) Because she loses to Vesnina this week in Indian Wells. She lost to Mladenovic in her first match in St. Petersburg. Kiki went on to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. That's this year. She loses to Serena Fine in the Australian Open final. Okay, Mm -hmm. maybe that's not the best example. Go back to the US Open last year, losing to Pliskova in the fourth round, who then goes on to do all that. Mm -hmm. She loses to Kanta, in the first round of the Australian Open in 2016, who then goes on to make the semifinals, is now a top 10 player, one of the more established hardcourt players that there is going now. Right. And then Kazetkina at the start of last year in Auckland, she shows up out of nowhere and beats Venus in the first round as defending champion. Mm-hmm. And she goes on to have a good year. She's now a what, top 40 player, consistent player in main draws. I think it's just kind of shitty luck for Venus. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, you can... Look at it as encouraging that she's losing to quality players, but it doesn't really help soothe the pain, I don't Mm -hmm. think. There was something I I saw circulating that that Venus hadn't beaten a top 20 player in about a year. Really? Yeah. Like, she's been having these fairly good results, but not having to play really highly ranked players, which is... It's true. Like, her draw... We talked about her draw at Australian Open. She beat... But the thing is, like, she's beating players who have had... Higher ranks as right. well. <laughs> you yes. know, it's And the state of women's tennis at the moment is that a lot of the people ranked in the 20s, 30s, 40s are floaters. And they can beat damn near any- anybody. Right. I do get the argument that you want to see somebody have a few top 10, top 10 wins. Because if it weren't somebody of the pedigree of Venus Williams, and they were now on the cusp of the top 10 again, and you'd be looking back over the last year and say, well, oh, they haven't been somebody in the top 20. You would, we would, let's mm. be honest, say yeah. that, yeah, that's really lucky. Fair. But I'm not going to take that away from Venus Williams because she has put in the hard work and has suffered for long enough to be able to benefit from shit like this, if it is a benefit. Mm -hmm. Because let's be real, these women bring their best against the likes of Venus Williams. So it's not, it's not the same. End rant. I hope you were able to suffer through our extended segment on the women's stuff, you know, because if you were waiting on the men, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, actually, the men were scheduled not before 20 minutes, so we are running a little behind. I'm so sorry. You'll have to refresh your margarita. So what the hell is going on with men's tennis? I mean, I would like a little consistency at the top. The quality is just really suffering. I'm not of the same opinion. I'm kidding. Okay. But <laughs> I don't know. I'm just reading your notes and it I seemed know. believable. No. Do you so, forget do you forget the year, year and a half of Mari Djokovic every damn week and how you complain I about certainly it do every not. week? I was being facetious because that's how people talk about women's tennis. There was no truth at all to it. Because <laughs> I think you are a little bit pressed by this federal resurgence. I am. Yeah. Because the Australian Open, oh, cute, awesome. I'm so happy for you. Now you can actually like go away. That's kind of how I feel. Which is not gonna happen, it seems. No. Because you know it's back. Not only is the winning back, these ridiculous photo shoots are back. <laughs> oh my god, did you see the GQ shoot? Yes, yes. Oh my god. I'm sitting there by myself on the train laughing, laughing out loud at these 
ridiculous poses. The spread eagle one, you saw that one. Oh my god. With the dad shorts, like oh the board god. shorts. And then you saw the one Some with people like, find that titillating. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's I'm not here to judge y- y'all if that's your taste, but I found it funny. The one with the blazer buttoned up and he was wearing those aviator sunglasses, mm. that was the one that really tickled me. What is Federer without a blazer? Exactly. Federer was born in a blazer. And it has to be buttoned at all times. With some hideous gold trim somewhere. And I'm not going to lie. I voted for him in that GQ poll. I did. Because I didn't want Jared Leto to win. Did you? (laughs) I did my part for tennis. But I reserve the right to laugh now. But on to more pressing matters. Roger Federer is playing like it's 2009. Well, have we ever seen him hit the backhand that well? It just does not make sense that somebody's able to flatten the backhand at this stage of his career and not make more errors. I just don't understand mm, it. Yeah. The efficiency is just unreal. And you can see when he plays somebody like Rafa, again in Indian Wells, much like he did in the Australian Open final, where Rafa has this game plan that he's accustomed to using for over a decade, and now it's not working. That's the thing. Like, this, everyone knows the game plan. The, even the most casual fans know the game plan between Rafa and Roger, right? But the backhand is remade. When have we seen a player of his age take a shot and totally refashion it? And then that makes me wonder, why did he not do it before? Like, you suffer know. all those high-profile losses to Rafa, mm-hmm. and then now at 35... You're able to refashion your your pretty much your entire backhand, like this. It it's it reeks of maybe it's just a new lease on life, feeling you have nothing to lose. <laughs> like people, right. I feel play up more the time off that he was able to rest and get his body right. It's probably more of a mental refresher for him mm. that he's able to maybe take a step back and and evaluate his game because throughout the course of a tennis season, if you're going full throttle you have maybe two weeks three weeks off and in that time you want to take like maybe four or five days to see family have a little bit of a vacation and then you get back to the practice courts there really isn't that much time to rejig your entire game and Mm. outlook and tactics right and so i feel like that's where the six months really helped him with the new coach as well right and lubicic is clearly teaching him to hit over the backhand which I think Federer fans have been talking about for the past 15 years, and taking the ball early, which I would imagine is a more risky strategy, like a, a more low percentage play, right? One would think. Right. It hasn't been the case. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. When you expect the, the stroke to break down, it's not. But I will say that this has been very successful this season, obviously, but we are talking about a different Nadal. I don't know that it would work as well against a Nadal of 2010 or 2008. And the other thing is that Federer's return game is totally different because he was never, even at his peak, was never a huge returner. He would chip a lot of balls back, right? Especially on the backhand side. Well, more generally, he's just more aggressive. Right. In all facets of his game. Like You see him in rallies, he can't wait to pounce and push you back. He can't wait to get that first ball in play on the return and push Nadal further back behind the baseline. Mm-hmm. Everything is attack, 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 and it's working. Right. But back in the day against Nadal, even at Wimbledon, like at 2008, a lot of those returns were chipped in, and then he would sometimes rush the net, sometimes get drawn into these rallies, and it didn't work against Nadal because his ground strokes were so, so good at that time. Mm-hmm. But the big difference for me in that matchup now is the the ineffectiveness of Rafa's serve. Because Rafa can still find a way from, from the baseline mm. to not lose 6-2, 6-3. Yeah, I mean, it was like... It was the, issue is not, yeah, the issue is he's not defending his serve against Federer. And I feel like that's the biggest adjustment that Rafa has to make after those two matches. Right? Because mm. Federer is is starting those points, essentially, in completely different ways than before. Absolutely. And and you, you, you again see, with his new aggressive approach, 
how less of a traditional lefty serve Rafa has than than most mm-hmm. lefties. Because even if Federer is being aggressive, he should still be able to pull Federer further wide on that backhand. Right. But it's just, it's not going to get the job done against most top players hitting those high looping balls halfway through the court. It's just not like bouncing before the service line. You're going to get killed by people like Federer and Djokovic and Murray. And Stan. And others. I, I don't <laughs> you know? know about Stan, necessarily. Okay. I still don't know. But like... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If you're in a Grand Slam final, definitely Stan will kill you. But <laughs> Okay. But definitely... I mean, even not so much Murray. We still haven't seen that matchup much. That's like, true. We don't know. Nadal really definitely owns the Djokovic and Federer. Rafa needs to bring it more. Mm. We keep seeing glimpses of improved play or what we think is vastly improved play. But the only way to really gauge that is how he brings it against the really top mm-hmm. players. And because at a certain point, you don't know how much of that improved play is due to him or the opponent. Right. I mean, he has had a very good year. Mm-hmm. Better than I expected him to start. Definitely. He's second in the race. But, God, that was just not a good performance and against he was Still, I mean, Rafa was three games away from winning his 15th slam. Against Federer in that Australian Open final. On a hard court. After having come back against Zverev, after having come back against Dimitrov, like winning those five-set Grand Slam matches that he hasn't been winning. There have been a lot of improvements. Oh, yeah. This just felt like, given the history of their matchup, it was a bit disappointing. (laughs) Right. You know, it... Like, having that loss against Djokovic wouldn't be as disheartening, I don't think, as if mm. it coming against Well, Federer. I agree, because Federer is someone he's owned in the matchup, and I certainly don't relish the record becoming less lopsided. I'd like to keep it where it was, <laughs> you know? But this, this stretch of play from Federer has hints of 2009, when he was totally counted out when he lost the Australian Open to Rafa and cried and it was just all doom and gloom. And then he has one of the best years of his career. Regains number one, wins three majors. I'm not saying that he's going to win three majors. I think that's highly unlikely. But playing like this, Wimbledon is certainly not out of reach. I think he'd be vulnerable on grass to Nikirios having a great day or another big server. But God, like... This year, he's clearly the best player there is. This is what I find exciting about men's tennis right now, and I haven't been excited about men's tennis in probably a couple of years. With Federer having a depressed ranking, now better, it's up to number six. With Kyrgios being in the teens, uh, Dimitrov playing well, Sok playing well, Del Potro still floating. Like Anybody can win any given week. Mm. This is what we're seeing. We're seeing... The players in the in the teens and the twenties get better. We're seeing the players at the very top regress. We're seeing Federer come back. <laughs> There's this convergence of events in men's tennis that's that's pushing the field closer together, mm-hmm. and it helps that we got Djokovic and Del Potro in back to back weeks, followed by Djokovic and Kyrgios in back-to-back weeks. That's <laughs> right. that's a kind of early tournament drama and intrigue. That's actual early tournament drama and intrigue, not something that's trumped up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is... It's fascinating. And it's extremely bad luck for yes, Novak. Yes, very. I think there's... In sport, when one or two players dominate for a few years, you tend to see the rest of the field catch up. You saw it with Venus and Serena in, say, 2004-2005. People started to figure out how to beat them. So their play leveled out. But you also saw players like Anna, Kleisters, etc. figure out how to play them. They raised their level. They worked really hard to be as good as Venus and Serena, right? You saw it in golf against Tiger Woods. You're seeing it, I mean, we saw it against Federer as well. Nadal was his true rival as a prodigy, as a teenager. And so I think we're in a phase like that in men's tennis, where Djokovic and Murray raise the level so much, the rest of the field is kind of figuring them out. And also maybe they're just tired. They're well, exhausted. Yeah, that's true. There are so many things at play here. 
I'm just willing to just sit back and enjoy it on a week-to-week basis for now and hope that Rafa can snatch something here or there. Really, really interested in the clay swing because that will be the full test of where Rafa is with his game. Mm. If he's able to get through Roland Garros healthy, play those events right through to the end of the French Open, that's when we can really gauge what's what's up. Yeah. Other performers of note in Indian Wells quickly? Well, uh, what the hell is going on with Novak and Andy? Uh, I think that's the the other major takeaway. They both pulled out of Miami. They both have elbow injuries, right? Yes, that's what they cited. Mm-hmm. And Novak has actually been dealing with this elbow thing for a long time since... what? Didn't he have an elbow thing at the U.S. Open? Or was that the wrist? Or It seems like he's been dealing with these like nagging injuries for quite a bit. And, I mean, he clearly didn't look happy on court against Kyrgios. I don't think he likes Kyrgios. They clearly are not the best of friends. And the, the energy between them is not great. <laughs> that's that's just all my... Projections? Pers- perception. Okay. Not project. Okay. Okay. You're not a psychologist. Mm. <laughs> I think, unfortunately for their fans, their absence does open up some more interesting storylines to come out of the next few weeks and months. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I'll take it. I'll take a winner other than Andy or Novak. Mm-hmm. I will. Wish them best of health right. and that they come back, but I'm okay with their absence right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Sock made the semifinal. Not only has he won two tournaments already this year, but he makes the semifinals of Indian Wells, takes out Kane Shikori, does his Jack Sock dance. Apparently he has a dance now, a little jig. Really? Like he wins right after he wins the match, like the ball sails long or, you know, K's mm. shot hits the net. He just looks up and he does this little. Oh, he shakes his donkey booty? Not quite that. <laughs> but it's uh, it's worth a watch. It'll be featured in my This Week in Tennis this week. Okay. Jack's, or you can just go to Jack's Twitter. He retweeted something about it. Well, no, go to This Week in Tennis, you know, <laughs> trying to keep the brand mm, alive. Oh, the brand. Yeah. Christina Mladenovic, she also made the semifinals. Wozniacki, quarterfinals. Madison, back in her first event since surgery. She made the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Losing to Wozniacki, which seems to be the type of player that's her bugaboo. Mm-hmm. Yep. These consistent retrievers who are able to absorb her pace and force her into going for too much, right? Like mm. This is something like she's going to have to... To figure out. Less pressing now because she's just come back. Right. Right? Like, and we're so happy to yes, see her. But she almost put a real beat down on Osaka. Mm-hmm. But Osaka was able to keep it cute. <laughs> and now they're friends on Twitter. Yeah. And the last person I want to mention is Pablo Carreño Busta. Pablito. <laughs> he has made his fourth straight semifinal. Really? Yeah, it's uh, quite the stretch for him. And he is adorable. He didn't beat anybody, really, in Indian Wells. he <laughs> The highest-ranked person he played was, uh, or he was to play, was or Valentine. Oh, yeah. Bautista. Mm-hmm. He beat but Pablo he, Cuevas yeah. instead, right? But then he, he had to withdraw. So, I mean, well, collect that paycheck. You know, you've, it's... <laughs> right. It's the fruition of your hard work. And... In some other terrible withdrawal news, mm-hmm. Gael Monfils withdrew from Miami and later announced that he has an Achilles injury. So, you know, that could be a long layoff. Let's hope for the best for him. To finish the show, we're going to do a few etceteras, and you are going to take another quiz. It's Am a, I? It's a brief quiz, but we're going to test your knowledge. Okay. And then we're going to end the episode like we did last time with this new segment, Things We Like, Things We Dislike. One of each. Okay. All right. It took you till when? Yesterday? To finally look up those clips of Sloan broadcasting from Mm, Indian Wells? Yes. Because I told you. No, today, actually. Today. (laughs) I came out in the living room and I'm like, you've got to check out this Sloan stuff because she is killing it at Indian Wells. She is so funny she's so good and she's willing to ask the important questions right like how much body hair do you have oh my god Grigor. <laughs> <laughs> i mean 
she has a lot of personality. She looks good on camera. Yeah. Like, she's a gorgeous woman. And the interview with Vashek Pospisil was adorable. It's just, this is the content that tennis fans want, Mm -hmm. you know? I didn't know that Vashek has a YouTube channel, and I'm a fan. It's called Bounce. Bounce. (laughs) You're clearly not following Vashek. I I don't really... That's all he's been talking about the last three weeks. I don't mess around with YouTube. I I don't... uh, No. This is how social media works. You promote mm -hmm. on Twitter for your other medium elsewhere. I see. So his is YouTube. He said they should be recording this interview, but I don't think he understands what proprietary means. <laughs> <laughs> but then he goes and he does um, this mini segment with Outside the Ball, where he's lifting up his... Yeah. <laughs> his like, pasty thigh. Yeah, he's sliding up his shorts <laughs> as a means of getting people to go to watch Bounce, you know? <laughs> like, girl, you know how to sell it. You know, sell yourself. We, right. I will go to watch Bounce. <laughs> If you're going to be selling yourself like that. When I first saw Sloan at the tournament, I saw that crazy leg thing she had. That like stilt crutch kind of thing. And I was like, oh my god, she's an amputee. (laughs) Like seriously, though the angle, it looked like she had no leg. But that thing is very cool. But then we were able to track down a video of Sloan walking across that field. That famed field. Where all the players hang out and kick footballs and just have a lark. And uh, Lawanda, Twitter superfan Lawanda. <laughs> Who's always at Indian Wells. Uh-huh. Check out her Instagram, Lawanda50. You'll see all these videos. Because she was there all tournament. And you see Sloane walking with this device. And it, I was just fascinated. Mm-hmm. It was enthralling. Because she actually kneels on it mm-hmm. with one leg. And can, uh, can just walk... As if she's walking normally with no no crutch or cane. Yeah, or so the injured leg is bent at the knee, parallel to the ground, whereas the metal extension, like she's kneeling in it, so like the metal part from the knee down is what's walking. Mm-hmm. So she's walking, and then the leg is stuck from the back, stuck out at the back. It's it's very sci-fi. Maybe it's just our ignorance at play here, but I, I didn't know, know right? that 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 existed. It's the first for me. And Sloane is going to be in Charleston now. She's a defending champion Mm. at the Volvo Car Open. But since she's unable to defend, she's going to be doing this TV gig again. And as good as she is at the TV thing, I really hope we see her back on the court soon. I don't know when when she expects to recover fully. I haven't heard anything, but, you know, it's better to see her playing. A huge etc. is we got news from Petra Kvitova. Yesterday and today. Cautiously good news. She, her doctors say that she's recovering well, as well as can be expected, and that she is moving her hand normally, which is awesome. It's been three months, right? Yes. And every, every single outreach she's made to the fans and to the media since the attack, she's been nothing but just optimistic, joyous, in great spirits. I don't know how she does it. Grateful. Right? And mm. it's it's so wonderful to see. And I, I really hope she's able to come back she, like she was. Yeah, she's one of a kind. I don't know how she's dealing with this with such a sunny attitude. When that tournament, I forgot which tournament it was, put together that big happy birthday video mm-hmm. for her, she was just overjoyed. She was like, I can't believe you guys thought of me. Like, you're Petra. (laughs) What do you mean? There's Petra Kvitova and then there's Petra Solano. Like, the two main Petras, and you are clearly number one. Both of whom I love, but Petra Solano's more love to hate. Maybe they're, they're like, twins. One's the good twin Mm, and one's the bad twin. Because this is on Jane the Virgin, by the way. They're both from the the Czech Republic, right? They are. Yeah, see, Mm -hmm. there you go. Yep. Although the actress who plays her is... Austrian, I think. Still, we're talking about the character. Oh, here. okay. Two hilarious bits from the finals weekend, mm. from the finals day. Stan loses that match to Federer, right? And then he's giving his acceptance speech for the runner-up trophy, and he's way more emotional than one would think. Mm-hmm. Like, he must have been just emotionally spent from those nine days in Indian Wells because he was like tearing up, sobbing a little bit, and then 
he he thanks Roger and then he says, "Oh, Roger's laughing because he's an asshole," <laughs> <laughs> which makes Roger laugh even harder. It was hilarious. One of those really authentic, funny moments. Mm. You know, I wonder what Mirka was doing when all that was going on. <laughs> Just writing in on her shit list. <laughs> oh my god! And then the other bit was, which happened maybe a couple minutes before that happened on court. Elena Vesnina was in press, and she had the trophy sitting on the podium right beside her. And then some tournament official comes to take it away. She's like, uh, uh, you know, it's like, don't um, take my trophy. <laughs> sorry, is this like the best picture Oscar? It's like, no, sorry, you actually didn't win. <laughs> because they only had one trophy on site. And so they needed to snatch that trophy from Viznina's press conference to then take it on court because Federer had just won. All four winners at Indian Wells get the same trophy, mm. be it singles or doubles. But apparently that day they only had one, which seems like a, a failure of some sort. I don't know what's normal. <laughs> Maybe mean, somebody can do some investigative research on you this. You know, I take every opportunity to talk shit about Indian Wells. I feel like you know when the tournament is going to be every year. Why not just have more than one trophy? There is more than one. They just right. didn't have them that Where day. Where are they? Like in storage? In L.A. or something? Or maybe they get mailed to them. This is all speculation. <laughs> this is all speculation. I don't know. Mm. Are you ready for your quiz? Mm-hmm. What's it about? In doing my This Week in Tennis last week, because of how extended the Indian Wells tournament is, right? It's not just one week. It's mm. nine days. And then even before then, it's qualifying. So it's a full two weeks. The usual section that I did that I have about the rankings the rankings watch. I wasn't able to do regular rankings. Mm -hmm. I did the race to London and road to Singapore okay. rankings instead. Which, if you've paid attention to them, they're very different looking this year. Yes. And so, as of... I mean, today, some people only have like three tournaments locked. Yeah. Today's Tuesday. As of yesterday, Monday, I'm going to ask you to name the top ten on both the ATP and WTA. And the so, ten? Yeah, that's going to be hard, but I feel like maybe 75% total score would be good for you okay it's wow 75 percent is uh, is a lot that's 15 out of 20 yeah i can do math but like you've been paying attention to the year in tennis mm. you should know who's doing well right okay you think about the winners yeah i'll tell you who's not in the top 10 oh my god <laughs> okay so, so you're just gonna name 10 keep counting on your fingers yeah and then i'll tell you afterward how you did okay so i'll start with i'll start with the women Okay. So Serena, Venus, Pliskova, Svitolina, Wozniacki. Um, there's... I said Pliskova, right? You did? Uh, Mugurusa. Is That's that an guess? atrocious guess. Wait. No, I just... Oh, she's like... No, seriously. She's like 12. Really. I looked at it. Okay. Earlier, like yesterday or okay. something. Uh, Vesnina, now. Kuznetsova. Um, who else has there been? Coco? Really? Is she? You've got one more guess. Okay. Um, Mladenovich. Is that a yes? So you got 8 out of 10. Oh, okay. That, that's pretty good. Okay. I don't recall the two that, well, Muguruza was wrong, and then Coco. Yeah, those were the two. Oh, Coco was wrong too? Coco's wrong. Oh. Who else? So you got the first eight. In order, from one to eight, there's Serena, Pliskova, Svidalina at three, Venus at four, Wozniacki, Vesnina up to six after Indian Wells, Mladenovic at seven, and Kuznetsova at eight. Mm. And then nine and ten are Joanna Kanta and Mirjana Lucic-Baroni. Oh, okay. So for the men, there's Roger, Rafa, and now I draw a blank. <laughs> you have nothing else? <laughs> uh, Dimitrov, team. Um, Nishikori. That's five guesses, right? Yes, that's five. And then there's Kyrgios. Um, I don't know. This one's harder for me. Songa. Sock. That's eight guesses. You've got two more. Okay. Left. I definitely know if you were wrong. And then 
I'm trying to think who were the semifinalists at the Australian. Um, maybe no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second. Zverev. Come on, like we. I just gave you one clear, clear answer on this podcast. Really? Yeah. Mm. We're talking about somebody who's had like really good results. Didn't I already say Dimitrov? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've mentioned his name maybe once on the podcast. It wasn't him. Oh, I don't know. Bautista. No. Karenia Busta, four straight semifinals. Really? Yes. Oh. So I didn't do as well on the men. You got six out of ten on oh. the men. So that's 14 out of 20. That's 70%. You failed. That's that's a C. That's not a fail. <laughs> no, we we agreed at the start that 75% is what the pass. That was the was. cutoff? Yeah. Oh. So you pa- fine. You passed the woman and you failed the men. <laughs> Wolverine, oh my God. So should I tell you the top 10 on uh, yes, the men? Yes, please do. So you didn't get Pablo Carina Busta. You didn't get Goffin. Mm. And you didn't get Andy Murray. Oh, I, why? Nor did you get Stan Wawrinka, apparently. <laughs> well, that was dumb. That was really dumb. But to be fair, you have Murray at 10. Murray's close to not being in there. But Murray's there. Right, but he hasn't really had great results this year. He won a tournament. He won Dubai. Yeah, so? That's a lot of points. He lost early elsewhere. I'm just saying, okay. this early in the season, you go with the winners. All right. Yeah, Wawrinka was really bad. That was a really bad, bad miss. Maybe that's yeah, that was really maybe bad. that's something to say about his place in tennis. <laughs> the fifth wheel. <laughs> the constantly overlooked. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about the quiz? Was it more fair than the last one you took? Yeah, it was very fair. Okay. Closing the episode with things we like slash dislike. I'm gonna let you start with the like because mm. I don't know what the hell this is. <laughs> I know what the hell it is, but I can't believe that you're polluting or body serve airwaves yeah. with this garbage. Well, this is sort of a like and hate. I had to so, ask you, because the premise of this is that we do one thing that we like and one mm. thing that we hate. I had to ask you, which was it? Like, is right. it something we like or is and it I something said, we hate? I'm not really sure. And then I thought back and I was like, well, I have heard you in the other room watching it, mm. like, four hours of it already. But so you must there, like There it. have only been two episodes, smartass. Maybe you were re-watching it and you no, liked it so much. No. It's The Real Housewives of Toronto. Which I assure you is a real thing. Because why shouldn't Toronto have a real housewives? Vancouver has one and it's so boring. But I've I've actually never seen any of the housewives except for Atlanta, of which I've seen every episode. And they've had about like three hundred and fifty episodes. They're in what and, like season eight or nine? Yeah. Now? And the seasons keep getting longer. But I've never seen any of basically I've never seen any of the white lady housewives, to <laughs> to be honest. right (laughs) but toronto is so bad their first the centerpiece of the first episode was what they call a procedure party which is a party where they all get together and it's basically a cosmetic surgeon advertising what he does and they're showing off the procedures that he can do and so they put this on tv a woman volunteered to get a facelift in front of everybody one of the housewives no some other i don't know who the random is i don't know who the hell she is how much she got paid for that but they were putting needles and shit through her face on tv and they showed it it was horrifying did they show the before and after no oh so we don't know if it was botched no but the first big drama of this show is this one woman saying that she had a botched plastic surgery in 2002 by the husband of one of the other housewives and the other housewife i swear looks like gloria vanderbilt like she oh has God. had complete reconstructive surgery Everywhere. on her head no that's atlanta <laughs> the whole reconstruction down there oh my god they that's actually one of my favorite parts of Atlanta is when they go to these obvious, like, quack doctors who probably aren't even doctors, and they talk about cosmetic surgery that is totally bogus. I think we've talked about this enough. Okay, fine. 
I don't, and I don't think people outside why of Canada like, can even like it? can even access it. Why do you like it? Because I like we live here, so it's like, oh my god, that's they're on King West right now, or yeah. you know, that makes sense because you are a nerd. You like to yeah. geographically. It's like, oh, I've been places. there. Uh, they all live in. I don't know where the hell they live, but nowhere near us. <laughs> but they, if you're from Toronto, you'll get this. They only only so far have gone to restaurants and patios on king west which is like you know where bougie that's the entertainment district right yeah but like between the theater district yeah but between spadina and bathurst like where it's super rich you know things we dislike this may be unpopular for a lot of folks but we dislike the second coming of the david foster boy band with Tommy Haas, Dimitrov, and Fedor. <laughs> Not a fan. Mm. Because at first it was like, oh my god, it was it felt a little bit organic. Now they're having pre-recorded vocals. Like what? Oh, yeah. Like what this but, is a bit too much. It's like, oh, the first one was cute. But now it's like <sighs> also because I know that David Foster is a Trumpite. And also Tommy's the tournament director this week. Mm. Like it's just it's just again tennis with the the too muchness, you know? <laughs> like the, yeah. the incestuousness, it's just let it be. Yeah, maybe we sound like spoil sports, but it was just like, uh, I don't know how to put it into words. The sheen and the novelty was just not the same. Mm. It felt right. like they were trying it was an impromptu, too hard. Right? right? That's what made the yeah. first one fun. Mm. It felt like they were more self-conscious then. This time it's just like, oh, we've already come back from the studio. Right. We're just going <laughs> to... And it was so, like, the auto-tune was so disturbing it, because it was so intense. It was kind of like an uncanny valley sort of phenomenon. You know, mm. when when something, like, approximates being human but doesn't quite get there? It's very disturbing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Final note, though. Tommy Haas... The, the job he did as tournament director. Mm. Isn't it good to be an active player as tournament director that when Nick Kyrgios pulls out of your blockbuster quarterfinal against Roger Federer, you're then able to scrounge together an exhibition right. between yourself and thought Vashik Paskasal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool. That is a good thing. You know, they have something... To, because these tickets are expensive. Yeah. Fans pay a lot of money, and you do not get a refund for that. And also, we discovered this week through, I believe it was Ben Rothenberg's reporting, that Raymond Moore is still on site and still involved with the tournament. He resigned as tournament director shortly after the fiasco last year, but then it was revealed that he was still involved in like three or four different capacities. Mm. Then he's since let go two or three of those, but he still has one remaining capacity at Indian Wells. And do you know what that is? What? Adv- the official title is advisor to Larry Ellison. Uh, yeah, fuck that. Can we leave? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just end now? <laughs> oh my God. Petkovic, when asked about the Tommy Haas thing, how he's doing, and she's like, you know, he seems to be doing well, whatever, but, you know, in, to my mind, after the Raymond Moore thing, they should have hired a woman. Oh. <laughs> you don't she's say. She's finished suffering fools <laughs> after that national anthem bullshit. Right. Like, <laughs> like, everybody seems to like Tommy. Tommy's cute to look at, you know, but there's only so much praise he's going to get from me. Mm. Do you want to call it a show? Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in and for bearing with our kind of extended absence. You can uh, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. We haven't had one in a in a little while. It'd be nice to. The last one was negative, so. Well, that was from Australia again. Mm-hmm. They the... have. A, I found out they have a very active alt right as well. Yes. So I think that's who's been leaving <laughs> that's our reviews. What's yeah, been I'm, going gonna, on. I'm gonna blame it on that. <laughs> We'd like a nice, cute U.S. or U.K. or Canada review. Or, or New Zealand. We saw you out in New Zealand. Kenya or Nepal or really wherever wherever you're from, as long as you like us. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for our upcoming stuff from Charleston. You can find the podcast on Twitter at The Body Serve. Check out our Instagram, also at The Body Serve. 
I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at SportsscribeCA. I know this is a lot to take mm-hmm. in. Yeah, so you can write it down if you need to. And I'm James. I'm at ElliotJMR on Twitter. Till next time.